Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Beaten Track. I'm Joe, and as always, I'm joined by Louis Baker. Hello, Joe. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Excited to talk about one of the iconic sort of albums that you just, you know, I don't know, iconic electronic album, I suppose. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, a fun one to revisit. And... Uh, no topic this week. So this week we are discussing Suicide's self-titled album, Suicide. Ghost rider, motorcycle hero. Not to be confused with their second album, which is also called Suicide, and then just list the members of the band. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a confusing um, album naming system they've gone for there. Yeah, you either do your your debut or your sophomore album as a self-title. You don't really do both generally, I think. Because mm. then it does lead to confusion. But. Well, well, when the album's so good, then uh, I guess you can get away with it. Well, yeah. Um, wow, where do you where do you want to start on this one, Louis? Because, well, I mean, I guess we should start a little bit with the, um, the background of the band, I guess, and and also, I guess, my knowledge of them. I don't know, don't know loads about them, and I haven't listened to them loads, but I know I have listened to this album a couple of times prior to um to uh this week and yeah i guess like you said it's like kind of one of them that i feel like i don't think yeah i think it still goes under the radar a little bit and um which is a shame really because it is so uh good and in terms of its influence it's very um diverse i guess that's the interesting thing about them they're kind of a sort of 70s punk outfit um with a re- with a real sort of diverse range of of, of influence in terms of you know they they've influenced um, sort of eighty synth pop bands they've influenced uh, Bruce Springsteen they've influenced sort of no wave bands they've influenced like Black Flag so um, and lots of like electronic music as well like you said before so um, I guess that's what makes Suicide quite interesting is that they um, they have a very particular sound but one that is um, yeah, as, as, as sort of has led them to have a quite a wide uh, uh, and eclectic influence on music. Yeah, and I think part of that and why, I you said they're a bit underrated, but I think one of the reasons why they're still iconic within sort of alternative circles and stuff is because they really are quite early in terms of an electronic band that have a sort of, quite a unique sound and a kind of, yeah, they, they feel like the starting point for a lot of this in the same way that the Velvet Underground were, was so big for so many alternative bands. So obviously you listed a lot of the genres, also industrial music, like vast swathes sort of owe influence to suicide. And um, I think in terms of electronic music in general, late seventies, I mean, it's suicide and then, you know, Kraftwerk and, and Yellow Magic Orchestra, maybe like, you have like a few um, really influential bands and then everything 
naturally sort of springs from that because the technology just wasn't um, in place and, until the 80s, you know, and, and what you get, obviously there's things even earlier, you, you know, using Moogs and things like that, that the kind of, you know, sample base and things like that. But I think in terms of synths, especially in drum machines, which, which are really important to this album, I think it is the, the progenitor really. And um, it's still got this very, the archaic quality of it is quite an appealing aspect of the album. It's, it's you know, the, the drum beats, et cetera, are so sort of kind of brutal and, and pulsating and they're, they're, they're not a sound that's gonna be replicated that much because the technology's moved on, but they were still really creative within that framework, so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole you know, very specific sound of that sort of, you know, very primitive um, sort of drumbeat sound it sounds almost quite um, like submerged at times and is very sort of, uh, it's got the throbbing thing. And I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, later on. And But they're, they're interesting because I think they fit quite well. I mean, when I was listening to them, I was just, just trying to think of people they reminded me of and stuff. But I think they, they fit very much in the sort of, there's got quite a lot of avant-garde bands that they sort of reminded me of, you know, definitely get a sense of the Velvet Underground's influence upon them. Uh, I was reminded of the Can a lot. I know you mentioned Kraftwerk before, but I was reminded of the sort of Can and, and New in terms of the sort of Krautrock sort of thing going on. And uh, and also the Monks a little bit as well. I know we reviewed the Monks earlier on the um, on the podcast, especially with the vocal delivery and um, and also some of the rhythms and stuff that, that go on. There's definitely a, a feeling of that. So, yeah, and obviously they emerged in the sort of punk scene so there's obviously ties to that but they're still you know certainly very singular um so yeah i mean um yeah it was a funny one it's been it's i um i've, I've enjoyed um listening to it but um I, I, something that i thought we'll probably mention is that it is actually a genuinely quite scary album yeah i think there's something very compelling about it in some of the tracks, but then you get to something like um, Frankie Teardrop, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which is um, kind of the opus of the album. I think it's a 10 minute long track, but the subject matter is like quite, dis yeah, very disturbing and um, sort of an, a narrative driven song, of a, a kind of epically long and, 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 but yeah, very disturbing sort of, kind of a horror um, kind of vibe, also a kind of almost a sense of social realism that makes it quite um, disturbing and yeah, lends the album this kind of grit that kind of, I guess, fits the the name, the quite provocative name of the band and the, the blood and everything on the, the album cover, which is quite stylized, but still sort of hints that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because Sometimes, um, if I feel like I haven't got out enough uh, in the day at the moment, which is quite often, I'll sometimes go for a walk uh, later on in the dark. And I was listening to this the other night, and I had to stop. I was listening to Frankie Teardrop, and I had to. I couldn't listen to it anymore. It was it was it was making me sort of look over my shoulder and and like jump out my skin every time the um, the sort of shrieks and the and the and the, and the squeals came in. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's extremely effective, and that's part of the um, the sort of yeah, there's a cinematic feel to it that they pull off really well. Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, like I think the it's funny that um, I guess with a name like Suicide, you've 
there's a potential maybe to be let down by this sound. I always think of that like lots of like sort of a crass metal bands have have mm. names where the the sound always kind of lets they could be you know the sort of the death mongers or something and they sound like kind of ridiculous. But I mean, they definitely live up to it. And yeah, the like you said, the art, the album artwork's fantastic. Mm, I, well, I think yeah, the the sound is very important. But yeah, I forgot sort of neglected to mention that Alan Vega's vocals are equally sort of a, a what fundamentally make the band stand apart really despite the fact that they're kind of forerunners of the genre like his his heavily influenced by people like Elvis and you get the kind of Elvis sort of Roy Orbison kind of um strange um sort of rock and roll vibes to their songs and some of his sort of the sounds that he makes the kind of croons etc but then a very sort of disturbing um shrieky sort of sense that kind of undercuts that so that smoothness i guess yeah definitely yeah the vocals are um yeah i guess the vocal delivery i think i said that before it reminded me a bit of the, the monks in a way there's definitely these these um um it's kind of shrill and and there's there's also a paranoid element to the vocals, but yeah, he definitely sort of insinuates these like um, like fifties rock and roll um, sort of people and like the rockabilly influences. There's definitely a play on those sorts of things in the um, in the album, and also there's lots of sort of like slightly child like childish sort of um, bits of vocal as well, and there's lots of playing around with it, and it's it's extremely effective. And and yeah, I think you're right. It's what probably um, yeah, I guess I, I guess it. It stands out. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess we'll get into the the tracks, basically, um, beginning with Ghost Rider, um, which is kind of it, it does set up what what to expect for a lot of the tracks. I think I enjoy how uh, even though a lot of the songs do replicate a kind of the pulsing drum rhythm that's kind of drowned in this droning noise and the kind of yeah the strange sort of throbbing nature of the drum machine etc and these these sort of snippets of like electronic sort of this buzzing sort of guitar sound etc like ghost rider is the kind of it sets you up for that but then other tracks sort of do provide a kind of like something like Cherry or Girl, they provide this different sort of romantic element or this, whereas Ghost Rider is a kind of, I guess, inspired by the comic book, but then it's lyrically kind of about, um, there's a lyric, America is killing its youth, etc. It's got this, yeah, this, this sense of disturb again and this kind of, a lot of the tracks have this idea of like sort of fantasy and, and the kind of cultural fantasies that we create and, and not being able to live up to that and the kind of reality beyond that. So yes, I think it's a great track, but I don't I don't know what much else to say about it. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the whole I was interested by the whole um America killing its youth thing because I think it's got that sort of um and I think it links to the next track a little bit. There's a sort of reference to obviously lots of reference to sort of um, violence um, uh, and, and comic books in this one. And, and I can't help but think of the sort of like uh, some of the things I've read about sort of like American culture and the normalization of violence in American culture, I think is, is sort of like a topic 
um, that that comes back up in the next song, which is um, Rocket USA, which is kind of made, kind of linked to like um, I mean, reminds me of sort of like uh, nuclear weapons programs or uh, and and stuff like that. Whilst also kind of referencing like um, TV stars and, and like like American TV. So I feel like there's there's something of this link between. Uh, American culture and, and 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 sort of like a normalization or a, or fetish of of violence, if you like, that, that is sort of woven in there, which is um, which is interesting. I guess I've started talking about Rocket USA now, so we should. Um, yeah, I, we'd... sorry. I mean that that does link perfectly with with Alan Vega and his you know his his whole persona and his whole vocal delivery is the kind of sort of perverse version of American sort of cultural norms and, and cultural figures who are so popular, etc. So it's quite quite fitting obviously that those themes come up so much in in the album. I mean I think one of the reasons why musically it's quite hard to talk about is because repetition is such an important part of their music. And I think perhaps that that rock and roll quality and that kind of that blunt quality make make it less as a, you know, I guess it's a bit of a risk making so much of your sort of palette kind of based in in repeated rhythms and and slight variations. Uh, but I think that bluntness and the kind of the narrative focus and the real color of like the lyrics and stuff sort of keeps it interesting. And I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, because I think yeah, definitely Rocket USA is in very much in the same vein of of the sort of the primitive drum sound and, and it's quite pummeling on that one even more so than the the previous track um but i think the brilliance of of rocket usa and uh, some of the other tracks on the album as well is those the the, the organ parts in it the sort of jolts of organ that we get there that kind of stand at odds with with the i know organs probably has been used in in avant-garde music well prior to this but um it certainly stands apart from the like the um the the sort of very lo-fi electronic sound going on um and it, yeah it's really like it, the way it sort of accompanies and it works so well and it kind of um it's like a juxtaposition i guess between the two of them so um there's that side to to their sound and they use that on other tracks as well which is really effective mm, i think the the use of organ sounds in Rocket USA and in Girl and then the chimes in Cherie, you get this this ulterior sense, like aside from the kind of pummeling drum beats, etc. It's kind of this more yearning quality and this slower kind of I mean the chimes especially you get this this kind of distorted romantic sense that makes the that makes kind of weird and yeah, yeah. and this this quiet kind of disturb again. And for the the drums you can kind of locate a um continuity between the drum sounds i mean i think the setup is basically the same for the songs but i think there's an interesting quality to the way they delay the drums and in the mix the the kind of juttering quality of the delays kind of mixes with the vocals as well so you get this kind of the sense of them being combined the kind of vocals and and the drums, everything in the mix kind of cascades together. So it's um, it's definitely got this kind of mechanical quality that's lent to even to the vocals, which are the only sort of animating elements. So it's got um, 
especially as you get later in the album, it's this this dehumanizing quality and this this strange distortion of, of what you expect. Um, yeah, I mean, something like Cherie, your girl, you get the the more tender kind of songwriting and these essentially what are love songs and um, with Cherry that has a kind of strangely tender sound and, and chimes and stuff, but then, you know, lines that kind of uh, lend a sense that something's kind of wrong under the surface. Yeah, there's definitely, again, you get the, in Cherie, you get the, the my comic book fantasy lyric and, there's this sort of something slightly chilling and creepy about about this. It's almost like a bit bit sort of like stalker like as a as a love song mm. in a way. And um and yeah, you mentioned the the use of the organ and the and the the bells or chimes. There's definitely a sort of almost like wedding like thing going on there. There's something slightly sort of um yeah, sort of slightly disturbing um romantic element to um to that. And I know they admired sort of um like fifties, we talk about like fifties pop and, and and rock and roll culture, and definitely the lyrics of 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 that one, uh, and maybe girl as well to an extent, um, and, and also Johnny actually they all sort of kind of link to that sort of um, this sort of fifties pop culture, which again I think you know, like we were talking about before links to the sort of American, the idealized American culture in the fifties and stuff, um, but there's definitely a disturbing edge to that. Um, and yeah, and it, and also just, you know, as if we didn't, as if it wasn't obvious. I just think it's a great track as well. I think the first three or four, uh, all the tracks are great, but I think they're really effective in the way that they, um, they, um, they do this sort of slightly disturbing um, romantic element in these tracks. Yes, and these tracks are the ones that are still fun to listen to. But when you get later on, I think. I'm not sure I would yeah. pop on Frankie Teardrop in like a... <laughs> well, I wouldn't, you know. And the thing about Cherry as well is lately it's been... Remo- there's a there's a perfume advert that plays on like ITV or something for for Mark Jacobs, and it reminds me of that. It's got the, the weird submerged drum beat and the, um, mm. the chime. So I, I keep thinking about suicide even when... Not, not in that sense, but in... Um, yeah. When well, I, I know you, I know, no, but I know you like your perfume adverts. But I'll, I'll have to, um, <laughs> do you? Have to catch Is that you a up. thing? <laughs> I, I think it, it, maybe it's just I'm listening to them lately, or maybe there is a, a genuine link. Well, you know, it's... yeah, maybe I'll, I will, I'll pay attention. Okay, yeah, we'll watch the chase and then see, see the daisy <laughs> ever in between. Yeah. Um, should we just get to Frankie Teardrop? Yeah, let's do it. We've been sort of knocking on the door. The, what the one thing I would say is that "Girl" is the track before Frankie Tears Up. We're just talking about it, but I think you start to get there's something in "Girl" that's a little bit more, um, a little bit more grotesque, sort of to hint at, and you get the again that was organ and that creates a slightly surreal feeling. Um, and there's definitely a hint of the sort of the like cinematic horror thing that, that Frankie teardrop then obviously in its sort of 10 minute span very much goes into, but I definitely think that um, those two tracks work well together, that there's a sort of Lynchian horror thing feel like to, to the elements of girl. And then um, yeah, Frankie teardrop is like takes the sort of cinematic 
Um, and yeah, you mentioned before the the idea of a narrative as well. It's very much a narrative um, track to a, a sort of to an extreme um, extreme level. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it's quite the track to behold. Frankie can't make enough money. Frankie can't buy enough food. Frankie's getting evicted. All I tears for Frankie. Oh, Frankie, Frankie. In some ways, just thinking about it now, it has similarities with the Doors song, The End. I mean, the mm. idea of the sort of man stalking through the house and the kind of the extended track and the kind of screams and yelling sounds that kind of get incorporated, the the use of voices and stuff. So it's um, sort of this song about a man who um, who kills his family essentially, and um, the the establishing moments of it are sort of he's a, he's a working class man. He can't really pay to he can't afford to kind of keep up with you know his family and, and feed them etc so it's got yeah like i said this element of social realism but also like definitely a cultural critique within that because there's all these lines that are like repeated like let's hear it for frankie so mm. it's got this strangely performative element but they haven't taken the first person approach with the song which is interesting it's this kind of viewing frankie as this performing figure and this kind of yeah, like you said about the violence, but it's this kind of perverse celebration aspect that that makes the song really disturbing, and the the kind of dense description of events that's kind of uh, almost sort of analytical or like a report or something. Like he doesn't just say like he's killing his children or whatever. It's like he says the age, or um, you know, it's got this this quality of a real sort of critique and um, real specificity. And um, yeah, and then it does go all shrieky and towards the end. And, and some of the, I mean, I think that could come across as quite affected um, by any other singer, I guess, but the, the, the intensity of the shrieks and stuff is really does sort of get to you. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's blood curdling. It's really genuinely quite terrifying. Um, and yeah, the, the interesting thing with this track is that the sort of instrumentation really takes a sort of um, a back step, if you like. There's the, the, there's this you get the thought the sort of throbbing um, underbelly drumbeat thing, but it, it's very much stripped down. It's very minimalist in this track, and instead, what you get is the building of of the tail and the um, and the building of the and it, the the, um, the instrumentation does slowly build actually as well, but. but um, it's mainly this sort of narrative that, that starts to build and um, yeah the let's hear it for Frankie thing is the way they do that is great it's very you know the way it's m almost mocking the character is um, it's quite genuinely sinister and um, yeah and it, it's kind of nightmarish but it also captures the sort of what drove him to violence and the sort of claustrophobic nature and maybe the expectations upon um um, I don't know, men in, in that time in America or, or uh, certainly working class men or something like that. So yeah, it, it does that really well. And um, 
and yet at the end it's it kind of twists a little bit and it says you know we're all frankies um we're we're all lying in hell so there's kind of um there's definitely yeah like you said a social realism a, a critique of society involved yeah i the mix is incredibly minimalist on this one i think I thought I could just kind of spot like two piano notes in the background very dimly, but I mean, most of it's just this drum beat that's even more sort of subdued than, than the ones in, in other tracks earlier in the album. But you get this delay effect again in the kind of the echoes of kind of voices and um, the sort of droning sound that does sort of um, reach a kind of climax at the end of the song. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great track and I think perhaps that it's the one that makes because suicide second album is really good as well and i think maybe this is part of the the iconic nature of the album really this song and because it does sort of go beyond whatever i mean it's certainly memorable if you haven't even if you don't like it it's kind of like there's not a chance of you thinking it's um not unique or um it's very deliberately a sort of uh, an, an opus and like a, yeah. Yeah, and then you get the final track, um, Shay, which is, I guess, is suggestive of um, uh, Shay Guevara, really. And, and it's a slightly strange one because it, it's kind of, again, it's slightly subdued. It's kind of strange, actually, and... and it's a strangely minimalist. I guess it's not strange for the band, but it, it is sort of strange and, and minimalist in its approach. And um, again, you get the sort of sarcastic hooray, hoorays, and, and it's definitely a nihilistic sort of feeling of dismissive nature of it. Um, um, so yeah, definitely the the first. It's it's funny because I I thought I felt like the first two tracks on the album were actually or the first couple of tracks actually were actually. Um, you know, almost catchy in a way. There was a there was a pop element to them, but certainly the last two tracks aren't that at all. The last two tracks are um, much more um, sinister, I guess, um, and, and nihilistic. Yeah, I think the Shay element's mm, not something I can really develop on. I mean, I think there's a red star on the the album cover. I think, if I'm, yeah, I'm remembering correctly, and they have. Um, the sense of being a sort of, uh, sort of, um, yeah, they've got a slight like sense of, you know, Marxist Leninism or something, but you can't quite put your finger on it just by listening to the music and not um, investigating the sort of background of the band and stuff. And um, yeah, I think they were never sort of, I think part of their, the reason for them not making as many albums as they thought they would or for disbanding kind of, or not disbanding, but kind of stopping like for long periods and stuff. I think they're almost part of that kind of CBGB scene. And but I think their, their live gigs were famously sort of, I don't think people quite, they were, they're ahead of their time, you know, it's like the back to the future mm. scene or whatever that people weren't quite ready for them. I don't think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I and I think from from what I gathered from reading more about them that maybe recording music wasn't particularly their thing. I know they they've been performing for a long time before they recorded this, and and I'm, and I read that it only took them like forty minutes, and they were sort of 
I know it is only 30 minutes long. That's one of the, another thing that makes it great actually. And, um, but I guess, yeah, there's maybe that live music certainly at the start was more their thing. And then, yeah, I guess they're not, um, they certainly haven't got a massive discography and, I guess there's still more to go and discover and more that I need to discover as well. I haven't listened to the second album, so um, I should do. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, I can imagine if you were, that the performance was quite um, intense. Well, yeah, for sure. Like the second album's great, but I think also A Way of Life's pretty good. I think, yeah, people just caught up with them at that point, as in bands had caught up with them and they didn't sound as sort of singular, but also, I think I think they were kind of a lot older than some other people in the scene at the time they released the album. Really, I think Alan Vega, particularly, like they were a bit, which makes it more impressive, I guess, that they come out with this kind of radical of an album. Um, but yeah, that's that's Suicide Self-Titled. I would uh, recommend it to anyone to listen to, you know, once and then then you know if you like it. Well, and it's uh, definitely an iconic. Uh, alternative album one of the yeah I don't I, I don't know how where it stands or but it's definitely remains iconic it is yeah I, I was sort of um listening to covers actually today because I you know I saw I mentioned before that lots of people have um have been influenced by them and covered them I was listening to things like Soft Cell covering them and REM Bruce Springsteen and Peaches and all sorts of things, really. So that was quite interesting. It's always interesting listening to people, um, uh, people's interpretations and and um, yeah, the influence they've got from them. So yeah, that was good fun. I've got a little quiz. I'm ready. It's the return, the triumphant return of Price It Up. It's not been seen for um, a number of weeks actually. So. Um, as a reminder, I'll give you this week three items, and I want you to uh, um, to list them in price order. Obviously, all three items are related to the album we have covered. So this week, Joseph, you've got three items. Your first one is a Marvel Ghost Rider action figure. Okay. Nine inches in height. Okay. You know, perfect for a sort of Christmas present. Oh, yeah. And um, the second one is a twenty-centimeter NASA space rocket model. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And your third one is a Che Guevara action figure, real masterpiece collectible. Oh. Okay. I think I've got a pretty good guess. Okay. Okay. So there you go. You got your three sort of toy figures. I mean, yeah, I think, uh, ironically, the, the Shea is going to be the most expensive. Uh, um, well, I'm going Shea most expensive, then um, the Space Rocket, then Ghost Rider. Okay, well, um, you got one correct and, and the other two mixed up. So the, the, the cheapest was the NASA uh, Space Rocket. Okay. It was only 9.99. It's only it's only twenty centimeters, so I guess it's not. No, no. Okay, can I make a can I make a point? Yeah, I just think with the nine inch Ghost Rider figure, there's like, despite the size being quite impressive, I feel like there's a distinction to be made between, like, you know, like a really terrible like 
action toy that you can get based on comics and stuff. And then you like get these weird sort of nerdy statuettes and stuff. So no, this is this is one to be played with. This is a okay. this is a play with. Well, I just thought that's why I thought maybe the NASA one might be slightly more expensive. Well, as far as I could tell, it certainly looked like it was one. I mean, I'm not an expert on on these things, so you know, if you really wanted to take it up with the, with <laughs> the price it up authorities, you could do. I mean, uh, twenty nine quid you'd have to pay for a for a Mar- I know. Oh my god! But this get this Che Guevara action figure, six hundred and thirty nine right. US dollars. Oh, he'd I be mean, so proud. He would yeah, be what do you think so Shay happy. Would think about that. <laughs> it's an American toy company. He would yeah. love this. He would absolutely adore it. I'm sure. He's probably turning in his grave. I mean, six hundred thirty-nine dollars. That's about what thirty pounds. Certainly, yeah, that is a lot of money. I think, from what I could tell, it's extremely rare. And and this one, mm-hmm. um, it didn't even look like Che Guevara. It just looked oh. like Action Man. I was thinking, okay, so it's like, is it like rare and old? I was thinking it's either that or it's like so finely detailed that it's like a... Well, it didn't, yeah, it looked kind of old. It, yeah, I don't know. I didn't do that much research. It just, I just saw that it cost a lot of money and I thought well, that'd be perfect because it costs a lot of money. Okay. Well, there you I go. guess the real masterpiece collectible thing sort of made it stand out. You got that one right anyway, so you, you did well. I'm happy with my shake. Okay. Okay. Um, that's it from us this week though yeah and we'll yeah we'll return with something of your choice yeah we will do yeah i've got no idea what it's going to be so that's exciting all right thanks for listening everyone we'll catch you next week <laughs> <laughs>